When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study, coming to you from the Rick and Bubba Studios. Thank you for joining us. Uh, first of all, let me say so sorry that we did not have a, a Bible study last week. For some of you that didn't know that, and you're, you're archive people, and you've been searching for the archive, and you're like, why, did, why was I forbidden to have this archive? Did Rick say something that was apostasy? No, it was. Uh, we, I was not here, and I did not know I wasn't going to be here. We had kind of a, uh, a medical family emergency, and I had to tend to that, and uh, so that's why we did not uh, have a Bible study last week. So the, you're not missing an archive. You haven't missed a, uh, you know, us walking through the Revelation. We're still where we were. Uh, we just had to delay that for a week, and uh, and thankfully everything has has gotten much better. It, it involves my wife, and just continue to pray for Sherry. We hope that she'll be coming home uh, this week. If you're listening to it on uh, on Wednesday, uh, the twentieth, so uh, hopefully she will be coming home this week. And all indications are she should. So just continuing to just continue to pray for her health as she makes a full recovery. All right. So if you uh, have your Bible or some of your Bible only, let's go to the Revelation chapter twenty. We're going to move into a brand new chapter this week. As you're turning there, uh, this Bible study every week, it started out as as a men's Bible study from, from the local church. Uh, it still is that, even though it involves men from several churches now. And maybe some they're just kicking the tires, uh, but uh, but what it is, it's part of an ongoing discipleship strategy, uh, which uh, was launched nationally March 1, 2020, uh, from themanchurch.com. That's the hub. Go to themanchurch.com. Everything you need to know, and I would encourage you before you ask questions about it, go ahead and go to the website, watch the landing video. Uh, walk through, go, hit get started, go through, see the other videos that describe to you the curriculums that we have. We have seven, uh, so, see four different curricula now. Uh, we also have individual resources for men uh, in their own spiritual growth. Uh, we do get involved in the high challenge part of men's ministry, but frankly, uh, that's been done for a long time. What has sorely been missing uh, in the men's discipleship strategy in the local church has been the equipping part, the, the actual discipleship part, or as some people call it, the great omission uh, when we are supposed to teach uh, all that he has commanded to be disciples and make disciples, and we provide uh, tons of resources for you to do that. You could literally go to themanchurch.com, say we want to, the Team Man Church to help us implement a men's discipleship strategy that features high challenge and high equipping, and we could give you everything you need turnkey for five years. Okay, so and hopefully we'll be able to give you more as we go forward. But anyway, we can help you and would love to. Part of what we do, I told you, are the uh, are the forty week curriculums. Uh, our curricula is the right way to say plural. Uh, but we also offer uh, men going out and teaching and speaking at events in, in man churches if we're running it. Uh, our conferences, uh, we do have man church conferences. We'll have two coming up. I'm going to give you all a heads up on something since you all are part of this that nobody knows yet. Uh, but anyway, let's talk about some of the man churches that are going on. These just services are, are events for, at the local church where our men are coming in and teaching. Uh, Udawa. Uh, Tennessee coming up uh, this weekend. We've got a, a man church weekend. Andy Blanks will be speaking. So will Lance Ingram, and they'll be going into one of our forty-week curricula. Uh, then on the twenty-fourth, Hope Town Church, Huntsville, Alabama. This is their next man church as they move through our strategy. Rich Wingo will be there on the twenty-eighth. We have two of them: Northside Baptist Church in Jasper, Alabama. They're in the strategy. Andy Blanks will be at their next man church, and then on the twenty-eighth, also Winfield First Baptist. Church. They're in year three. They're in their third uh, 40-week curricula, uh, but this will be their next man church in Winfield, Alabama. Tony Cooper will be there. On October the 1st, man church at Salem Baptist Church, Lake Mississippi. Todd Jones will be there. They'll be kicking off the strategy. So there's others that go into October and the rest of the year. You can find those at themanchurch.com. Now, let me tell you some inside information. That's the beauty of you being part of this Bible study. You get inside information. Uh, we will have two man church conferences in 2024. 
One will be February 16th and 17th in Birmingham, Alabama, Sanford University at the Wright Center. And then we'll have one in Startville, Mississippi, on the campus of Mississippi State. Uh, and they're in their theater. And that'll be coming up on the weekend of March uh, 8th and 9th. Okay? Tickets will go on sale to those two conferences. And that's not out to the public yet. Uh, it, they were going to sell to those two conferences on the 27th of this month. So seven days from right now. Get, get that on your calendar. If you're wanting your men uh, to be there, you can you can go get your tickets to either Starkville or Birmingham. The The lineups will be different. You could go to both of them if you want to. Uh, some, of our, some of it will be the same, but there will be some of the slots that will rotate out. Birmingham uh, will have Robbie Gallaty. That will be our special guest. Uh, I'll be speaking. Andy Blanks will be speaking. Rich Wingo will be speaking. And, uh, and, we, and we, of course, we have Chuck Hooten back. Uh, he'll be leading uh, worship with us again. And then in Startville, you have Scott Dawson will be with us. Uh, you'll have James Spann will be with us in Startville, and then Andy and I will be there as well. So Birmingham, Rich Wingo, Andy Blanks, me, Robbie Gallaty, okay, uh, Startville, Scott Dawson, James Spann, Andy Blanks, and me. So, And then Chuck Hooten will be leading worship at both. So just giving you a heads up on that, uh, the 27th, those will go on sale, and you can know that so you'll be ready. Uh, let's say a, a word of prayer, and let's jump into the Revelation chapter 20. Today we'll go through verses 1 through 10. Lord, thank you for today, uh, and uh, we do pray. We just take Sherry, uh, my wife, and we just lay her at your feet. We're thankful for the progress she's already made. Uh, I pray, Lord, that uh, you'll, you'll bring her to full recovery, and she can uh, you know, leave the hospital and, and be with us, uh, be back home with us with the, the next wedding coming up. We pray that she makes that with no problem. Uh, and we can go ahead and get prepared for that. And uh, we're just excited to see uh, all the, the the ways that she'll continue to glorify you through difficulty, uh, as she always has. Uh, and I thank you, Lord, for the gift she is to so many, and, of course, the gift she is to me and her children. In your holy name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's go to the Revelation 20. Now, here we go. It, it, it's, it's, the, it's the millennial kingdom. Okay, so it, it, since we missed last week, let me review. So we finish 19, and we see Jesus Christ, the, the rider on the white horse. We see him, the battle of Armageddon. He takes the false prophet. He takes the Antichrist. He throws him into the lake of fire. This is important. Lake of fire is not the abyss. The lake of fire is the final hell, so they will not be returning. Uh, and then he takes everybody who opposes him, all the kings, all the empires. Babylon is destroyed easily. Uh, he wipes out all these people. The, the birds are called to gorge themselves on the rotting flesh. Uh, the kings down to the foot soldiers are all slaughtered by Jesus in, 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 in a moment, and they have all been cast into the lake of fire. Okay, so, so now something different is going to take place because Satan is still rolling, and the demons uh, that are with him are still rolling. Uh, so, But all the human beings that have opposed Jesus are gone. But here's something interesting that is going to happen next, uh, and that begins in uh, Revelation 20. Imagine a world dominated by righteousness and goodness. Can you imagine that? I mean, can you even remotely imagine that right now? Because we certainly have the opposite. Uh, there'll be no injustice of any kind. Uh, the, 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 there, will be, there will not even be a smidgen of the evidence of a fallen world. Any evidence of a fallen world, the stuff we see every day that's evidence of the fallen world will be gone. Okay, now I want you to imagine that. Christ is going to return and establish a literal kingdom on earth that will last for a 1,000 years, okay? So he's going to show us this earth, not the final earth, not the, not the final heaven. He's going to show us what this earth would look like if all evil were removed, okay? Now, we're going to hit some very interesting concepts in this that are mind-blowing, things that I've wondered about as long as I've been a follower of Jesus, and hopefully you can get some clarity on some of that. This millennial reign has always perplexed me. I find it, I, I, I mean, God knows what he's doing. I'm like, can we not just get on to, to the final, the new heaven, the new earth? Why, why, are, we, why are we fooling with this? Uh, but, but God knows, and, and I'll show you as we walk through some of this. But So there, you're going to see four central truths in the millennial kingdom. Number one is going to be the removal of Satan, uh, and we're going to love that. Number two is going to be the reign of the saints. 
which would include all who are redeemed. We'll talk about that. Then we're going to see something that blows your mind, the return of Satan. He's released again. What in the world is that about? So we'll talk about that because he's been put in the abyss. He hasn't been put in the, in the lake of fire yet. So, uh, so that's going to be very interesting, and we will unpack that. And then you're going to see something that is even more mind-blowing, the revolt of society. People turn on Jesus again. So that uh, that that these are these are really really perplexing concepts and truths, but we're going to see them. Uh, so let's get started uh, with number one, and that's going to be the removal of Satan, and that's going to be verses one through three. So let's look. Uh, John now is, is is he said? Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit. That's the abyss, and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations, underline that, any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must, underline that, be released for a little while. He must be. That that don't miss that. That's important to note that. Not he might be or we'll see. He must be. Well, why? Well, hopefully when we leave today we'll know that. Okay. So the first matter of business is to remove the chief rebel. Uh, the, the scriptures uh, refer to Lucifer as the god of this world, and I, I think that's important. We talked about that a lot in here. Is all of this trying to create heaven on earth garbage that we tend to do as sinful people? That can't happen because this isn't heaven. But you know why? Because Satan runs this place. He's been running it since he he, he caused, and, and hang on to what happened in the Garden of Eden because it's going to answer one of your questions in a minute. And he was able to deceive human beings when they were in perfection the first time. You know, there had to be a fall, which means it, had, it wasn't falling then either. Uh, but, but since that happened, he took what Jesus has taken back. So right now, if you decide that you want to live for this world, you'll be living for Satan. That's who you're living for. Now, if you want to be heaven-focused, you know, we're doing our fifth uh, curriculum right now, and, it, and it's on the 31-day the devotional transform, but we go much deeper on 40 weeks. And the last five weeks that, that Adler and I just, just uh, finished, be one of the five, uh, uh, you know, be a unit of five sessions, was if you've been redeemed, you also have a transformed perspective on everything. And you know what perspective we're supposed to have according to Scripture? Heaven-focused. We're supposed to be focused on things above, not on this earth. We're not supposed to be focused on this earth. What we are supposed to focus on this earth is what? Being disciples and making disciples. Everything else is supposed to be heaven-focused. Um, and, and what we do is we worship the things of this earth as opposed to worshiping what we're supposed to. And when we do that, it means we're worshiping Satan. That's what that means. Because he's running this place. So 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 refers to him, write these down, as, as uh, the God of this world. We've already talked about this one, but he's also called the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the sons of obedience. That's what Paul calls him uh, to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2.2. 2. This will dramatically change the world. By this time, God will have, as we talked about two weeks ago, God will have destroyed all human rebels. The beast is gone. The false prophet is gone. The final step will be the removal of Satan and his demons, uh, and, and Christ will reign without any opposition. That's going to be sweet. For a thousand years, we're going to have that. Okay? And so when he says, then I saw, that's the first verse. Then I saw. That that means what's happening right now, and this is important because there's a lot of theories out there. You know one of the best places to look to know what the Bible says? The Bible. And I would caution anybody to be involved in any Bible study that does not feature the Bible. Okay? I, I'd avoid those because it's misnamed. But So if, if we know that Paul says, then I saw, what does that tell us? This is chronological. He's telling us this is a chronological progression. This is what happens after Armageddon. It's chronological. Then I saw, so that's important. Now, the identity of this angel we don't know. It's not disclosed to us. 
Uh, but you know I'm a human being like the rest of you, so I'm going to speculate. And like I said, one of the best Bible teachers I've ever had uh, told me it's okay to speculate as long as you acknowledge you're speculating. Okay, so the, the, it, it's okay if you acknowledge that you're speculating, and I am. But uh, a lot of people believe because of what's about to happen and what this angel actually does, it's likely Michael, the archangel, because he seems to be assigned to Satan, and he seems to be the one that deals with him the most. But it doesn't tell us that, but, but it, it, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Michael, the archangel, because he is called the great adversary of Satan, uh, we heard that back in uh, uh, the Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. And you know who else calls him that is Daniel, the prophet. He calls Michael that in Daniel 10, 13. He also calls him that in verse 21. And then he also calls him that in chapter 12, verse 1. We also see Jude referring uh, to Michael as, as uh, taking on Satan when they were battling for Moses' body. Uh, Jude in verse 9 tells us that as well. So, I don't think it's a big step to say this is likely Michael, but the Bible didn't say that, so I acknowledge that. Okay, Whoever it is, uh, this angel has great power uh, and has been sent for the specific agenda of seizing Satan for 1,000 years, which will be the duration of the millennial kingdom. Now remember this word, abyss. It's used seven times uh, in the Revelation, and this is important to note. This is not the lake of fire. Okay? The abyss always references to the temporary place uh, of incarceration uh, for certain demons and, and not for the final punishment. The lake of fire will come later. Uh, the key that the angel is holding shows us that this angel has been delegated power. He has the power to open the abyss. The chain, we see it's referred to as a great chain, uh, that, that has been used. Um, the chain is, is to bind demons. Uh, we've seen that before. Uh, the great chain is, is needed for Satan's power because we must remember this. Make this note. Ezekiel 28.14 tells us this, and I think sometimes we forget this. Even though it's a great drop from, from our triune God down to Lucifer, but Lucifer, Lucifer is in the number two slot below the triune God that created him. He is the highest created being that, that exists. Okay, And none of us have any chance against him without Jesus. We have no chance. Uh, but, it, but to bind him, you better bring a big chain because he doesn't go quietly. Uh, and uh, you know, again, this is an, an, an archangel coming to seize him. For, for, for Jesus, he's no big deal, but... If you're going to go bind him in the abyss and you've got the key and you've got to put him up, you better bring a big chain, and, and this angel does. And it also says he will seize the dragon. Uh, Satan is called a dragon 12 times in the Revelation. And why, why dragon? We talked about it before, but let's review. This emphasizes that, that his, he's got a bestial nature that is ferocious, it's oppressive, it's cruel, uh, so, that, that, so the dragon is that image because that's what you think of uh, when you think of something that would be that ferocious and oppressive and cruel and, and, like, a, and like a giant beast. Now, it's also called uh, that he's also described as a serpent of old. Uh, why is that? Well, back to the garden. The serpent of old is reminding us this is the same dude uh, that came into the garden, and we're dealing with him again, and we're going to put him up uh, for the millennial kingdom because we know what he'll do. Uh, and then this is important because y y some people say this all the time, and we need to make sure we, we get this distinction. You probably have heard it. I get it in the email. I've got it before. Well, why in the world did God create the devil? God didn't create the devil. God created Lucifer. And Lucifer became the devil when he became our slanderous accuser. That's what that means, to, to, to slander, to accuse. It means he's a malicious gossip. So if you're a malicious gossip, you're acting a lot like Satan. If you're a slanderer, you're acting a lot like Satan. That's, that's what the word devil means. The Greek word here that we say devil, that's what that means. L Lucifer became the devil when he became the accuser, the slanderer, the malicious gossip. He became Satan. What does Satan mean? Adversary. Fifty-three times in Scripture he's called Satan. And what that means is he's your adversary. He's the adversary of God's people. He's an adversary of God. So Lucifer is what God created. But it was the rebellion of Lucifer 
that earned him the name Satan and, and the devil. So God never created Satan and the devil. He created Lucifer who became those things. That's important uh, to make that note. So the, the thousand years he'll, uh, he'll be shut and sealed. He cannot deceive anyone for this period He's not just restrained. We've seen him be restrained throughout Scripture. With Job, he was restrained. Uh, with Paul, he was restrained. With any of us, he, he's restrained, but he can still get to us. That's not what this is. In, in the millennial kingdom, there's no restrained. He is shut down and cannot influence anyone in any way, in any shape, or any form. Now, this does not mean that the living people in the millennium will be incapable of sinning. And that's going to lead us to this real weird part at the end. And amazingly, a large number of those born to the redeemed who entered the kingdom, hang on to that, these children are going to be born in a perfect environment, but they still will love their sin, and they still will reject Jesus as king, and they will be judged with a rod of iron, which we heard about this in the Revelation 2.27 and the Revelation 12.5 and also in Psalms 2.9 we hear about this. Uh, they will run to Satan when he's released for a short time and they will utterly be destroyed. But we will discuss that later. Okay, Now let's go to the reign of the saints, verses 4 through 6. The reign of the saints. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. This is important. Underline that. Over, over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, yet he graciously promised the saints that we will reign with him, being glorified and perfected, we will perfectly carry out what? His will. Perfectly. Because we're now, those of us that have already been, either been raptured or died before the rapture, then we now have our glorified bodies. Now, there's people with us that don't, and that's going to be key later. Hang on to that. So what John is seeing, he's seeing thrones. This, this, this signifies judicial and regal authority. Uh, we, we sat on them, and the saints are sitting on them. That means judgment was given to them. Saints with both, you know, uh, will, inf will enforce God's will, will settle any disputes that go on in the millennial kingdom. Uh, there's been much discussion about the identity of the saints, much discussion. So here's what we know. Daniel 7.27, write that down, promises that the Old Testament saints will reign in the millennial kingdom. So we know they're there. Daniel told us they'd be there. Okay, These are all the heroes of the Old Testament, all those that were saved uh, by their, uh, their saving faith uh, in the one and only living God. Now we get into the letter, we get into uh, to what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 28. He also said that those apostles shall sit on thrones. So he says that there's 12 thrones for them. Now we we know there's much discussion who get who gets the twelfth because we know Judas isn't there, you know is it Matthias? Maybe he came in to replace, but many believe it may be Paul that he gets that twelfth one. We don't know, but Jesus said that the the twelve apostles will reign and will be on throne. So we know they're there. So we know the Old Testament prophets are there and the saints of the Old Testament. We know the the apostles are there because Jesus told us that. And then Paul comes in in his letter to to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 6, 2, he says that all saints will judge the world. 2 Timothy, he also says to Timothy, he says, if we endure, we will reign with Christ. And then Revelation 5, we've already talked about this, in verse 10, says the saints will reign on earth. So you have to say that, 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 that all who have been redeemed are, are also on thrones. And then you got to look at the last bunch, 
In first, uh, verse 4b, the last group uh, are the saints that were martyred in the tribulation. That's made very clear. Those that were beheaded because of their devotion to Christ. That, that's the saints from the tribulation. Beheaded, the Greek word here means to cut off with an axe, to be put to death, to, to be executed. Why? Because of their testimony of Jesus. They proclaimed the word of God. They, would, they did not worship the beast. They did not worship the image. Uh, they did not take the mark on their forehead or their hand. Uh, they earned the honor of sitting on the throne. Uh, they have been resurrected, and, and this is their part of the first resurrection. Now, the, the rest of the dead, the unbelieving dead, they will be resurrected not now. They get resurrected what? At the judgment and the damnation. So that's what that's what John is saying. Look, now, now those folks that are not redeemed, their resurrection is delayed after this is over. And then they're going to be resurrected, and, and John's making it clear, you don't want to be in that resurrection because that resurrection is, is, is for you to be judged and then cast in the lake of fire. So he said, blessed are those that are part of the first resurrection. You know, that, that's all of us in the millennial kingdom. But that second resurrection is going to be of the dead of the unbelieving, and they're going to be judged. Uh, and we know that 43 times in the New Testament – it, it confirms over and over again that the first resurrection always refers to the resurrection of the righteous. Luke 14, 14 tells us that. Uh, Acts 24, 15 tells us that. The resurrection of life, John 5, 29. The resurrection of those in Christ at his coming, 1 Corinthians 15, 23. The better resurrection, the writer of Hebrews, chapter 11, 35. And this is always referring to a physical resurrection. And it's always referring to the resurrected resurrection of the dead in Christ. Okay, that, that's crucial. Uh, John goes on to say, blessed and holy is the one who has been is part of the first resurrection. Why? Because there's no second death for them. There's no second death for those. Blessed and holy are they. They've been made fully righteous by Jesus. They won't die again. But... Those that uh, experience uh, the second resurrection, guess what else they get with that? A second death. And that second death is the lake of fire in the final hell. We're referred to as priest of God in Christ. That One of the things that, that really sometimes we don't embrace, we don't fully understand, we're a little bit intimidated by it, and that's the royal priesthood, called to proclaim the excellencies of, of the God who redeemed us. Uh, he, he called us out of he called us out of darkness into marvelous light. Peter says about that royal priesthood. Peter talks about this in First Peter second uh, chapter two verse verse nine. He says, "Remember, we will proclaim how excellent the one was who called us out of darkness." And can I ask you, brothers and sisters, are you experiencing that as you live in darkness? Are do you sense? This power that has been given to the redeemed, you and I have been called out of the darkness. We are to live that way. Not like we're part of the darkness. We've been called out of the darkness. And so the next thing that we see is that we will reign for a thousand years. The reign will be universal over the entire world, and we will see this earth as, as it should have been. As it should have been for a thousand years. But then something happens that has boggled the minds of many, including your teacher, and that is verse 7, the return of Satan. My goodness, can we not get rid of this guy? So here's what happens, and God is the one who lets him out. And when a thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. What in the world is going on here? No unredeemed people will enter the kingdom, only the redeemed, among the Jewish and the Gentile survivors of the tribulation. Now, this is what's crucial, okay? This is going to explain a lot to you. So you've got everybody who died prior to Jesus, okay? They, they, they all are now becoming part of the new covenant. They're, they're, going, they're going to be there, but they're going to already be in glorified bodies. The church that was raptured will be in glorified bodies, and those who were martyred in the tribulation, killed, they too will be in glorified bodies. But there's a bunch that's not. 
And and that this is going to make this you go oh that's those that just survived the great tribulation. They were not martyred. They did not reject Christ. They are redeemed. They now usher in to the millennial kingdom because we're not to the final uh you know the new the new earth and the new heaven. They come into this millennial kingdom and they still have flesh. That's important because they're they're going to be problematic. Not them, their children. So when they come into the millennial kingdom, now everybody's life goes eternal. So we're all going to live a lot longer than we did before the millennial kingdom, which is going to give an opportunity for generations of children to be born during that 1,000 years. Now, now hang on to that, okay? So they still have their physical bodies. They don't have their glorified bodies yet. They are redeemed, just like you're redeemed right now, but do you not still have the, the, the flesh on you? I have the flesh on me. I'm redeemed, but I don't have my glorified body yet, so I still have a sin nature. So if I were not so old, and, and Sherry and I were not so old, and we were still biologically able to birth children, they would still be born with a sin nature in need of redemption. Okay, so 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 now in my glorified body, I wouldn't have that situation, but 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 some of these people have come into the millennial kingdom. They don't have a glorified body. They're redeemed, but they're just like us right now. If you're redeemed in here or out there, okay. So what's going to happen is they will be in a perfect condition socially. The lifespan is going to be lengthened. Children will be produced. They they the 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 parents are redeemed, but they still will have a physical sin nature that will go to these children. That means that they will pass on sin to their offspring. Each successive generation throughout the thousand years will really produce new sinners in need of salvation. Now, they certainly can be redeemed in the millennial kingdom, and many will. Many will come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But amazingly, despite the most moral society the world has ever known, because of that sin nature, many of these children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren <clears throat> will still love their sin and reject Jesus. Can you imagine? I bet you can. What complaint do we have? There's no excuse for me to continue to sin, none whatsoever. But sometimes I still like sin more than I do Jesus. After all he's done for me. I, mean, I don't justify it. I, I come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and I repent. But I'm going to go ahead and just make a guess that even the redeemed that I'm talking to right now probably still have sin in their life that is not quickly dealt with. Sometimes it'll go on for months, years because we stop our sanctification and we stop seeking Christ and we stop abiding in him for whatever reason and when we do as as uh, you know Paul tells us in in Galatians we have this battle that's going on between our redeemed spirit and our dead sinful flesh and the bottom line is the one that we feed is the one that wins and when we stop feeding the spirit and and the flesh begins to eat suddenly we find ourselves loving certain sin still more than we love Jesus. So this concept, you say, but we're not in the millennial kingdom, and I'll give you that. We're in a, we're in a bad place. I'll give you that. But, but I, I honestly don't have a hard time believing that if anybody still has a sin nature, that even the millennial kingdom for some won't be enough. They'll still think that sin might be better. Apparently, because it does happen. Some will still love sin and reject him. This, this utopia, this is important, because especially now you see all these people, let's try to create utopia. Let's try to create heaven on earth. Let me tell you something. There's no utopia you can ever create that is stronger than the depravity of mankind. You're grossly underestimating the depravity of human beings. And that's what's going to happen here. And you say, Rick, how in the world can this happen in perfection? I have two names for you, Adam and Eve. 
They didn't live in a fallen creation. They lived in the they lived in perfect creation. But they still sinned. And then we had the fall. But that 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 created the fall. They weren't in the fall. What's the difference in people sinning in the millennial kingdom and sinning in the Garden of Eden? None. So if it happened then, why does it surprise us it happens in the millennial kingdom? So it does happen, unfortunately. <laughs> Satan will be set loose, and you think, well, why would God release him? Why, why would he do that? Now, I'm not going to pretend that I know everything that God knows because I can't understand everything with my finite brain about God, and if I could, he wouldn't be all that impressive. But when I read this, I don't think he's hiding it from us. I really don't. Here's what he's doing. I got a 1,000 years worth of kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and all this that have been produced that still have a sin nature. Those that came out of the great tribulation that did not reject me, they don't have their glorified bodies yet because we don't have the new heaven and the new earth, and we have, we have, not, we have not gotten to the point that we settle all this. So they still have a sin nature, and their kids and their grandkids, I've got people out there in my millennial kingdom that continue to rebel against me, so i got to purify this bunch. And I'll tell you the easiest way I could wipe them all at one time, I'll bring Satan out here as bait, and they'll all run to him, and then I'll kill all of them. He's using Satan to round them up, and he does. I mean, Satan's just a, he's just a, he, he is, he's a pawn in God's plan. And God uses him to, to finally cleanse this place. You know why he hasn't thrown him in the lake of fire yet? I'm still going to need him at the end of the millennial reign. And then when I'm done with him, then I'll do it. So what he does, let me tell you what God's not going to tolerate in the new heaven and new earth. Any more rebels. So if there's any more rebels, they got to go. He's not going to tolerate that again. He only wants those that are devoted to him. And if you're not, you got to go. So what he does in, in, uh, in, in verses 8 through 10, he allows the revolt of society so he can finally destroy all who oppose him. He's got one more purging he's got to do. And you know what he could do is go, i got to go to the four ends of the earth here and find these people, or I could just release Satan and he'll round them up for me, which is what he does. And Satan, it doesn't matter. He ain't learned anything in a thousand years in that abyss. He just got meaner. Okay. So verses 8 through 10, the revolt of society. Let's, let's read that now, and then we'll wrap up for this week. And, uh, and when the thousand years were ended, this is seven, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their numbers is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints, and the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So Satan comes out to deceive the nations. No matter how long he's been there, the hatred of God and his people has not, has, it has not ended. And so he goes out to deceive nations from the four corners of the earth. Now, Everybody hang on, flat earth people. <laughs> hang on, flat earth people. Okay, if y'all are up, if y'all going to get on all this, email speedy at rickandbubba.com, okay? That's not what it's talking about. What it, when it says four corners, and if you just go to the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 11, uh, uh, verse 12, and also in the Revelation 7, verse 1, we already talked about this back in the Revelation, if you remember. This is just talking about north, south, east, and west. It means all over the globe. Okay, It does not mean all over the flat earth. Uh, it means all over the globe. By the way, flat earth people, I can't believe you are back. Uh, but anyway, so, so uh, but, but once I see how social media works, I, I understand. I've got trapped out there in some fake world. I got it. So, so anyway, so this is talking about north, south, east, and west. It's not talking about literal corners. Um, so John calls them something symbolic. How many of you have heard all kinds of talk about Gog and Magog? Gog and Magog, Gog and Magog. Well, let, let's talk about that. Gog here uh, it appears to be used in Scripture as a general title for anybody who's an enemy or either a nation or a person who's an enemy of God's people. And you'll find that in Numbers 24-7. 
Do you remember Ezekiel talking about this? And that's why most people do. Remember Ezekiel, somebody Gog and Magog, and I'll tell you who that is. Uh, but anyway, Ezekiel 38, uh, verse 39, Gog there seems to be equated with the final Antichrist of the tribulation. Most likely, John is just using this descriptive word for whoever this human leader is of Satan's forces. I look and I see Gog. He just means that's the title for what I see. I see a leader, a human leader, another one has rose up that's going to lead Satan's forces of all the nations he's gathered, by the way, for God. Thank you for making my job easier. Go, go round them up and bring them before me. Magog, uh, some believe, uh, may be descendants from Noah's grandson by the same name. That may or may not hold up the, the Scythians. Um, north of the Black and Caspian Seas. Others think um, that it's farther south than that, maybe Asia Minor, whatever. Uh, it's clear that this name represents the sinful rebels from all nations, that they gather together for the final war in human history. And you thought, well, I thought Armageddon was that. Well, this is there's still more purging to do uh, because we had more rebels rise up, and God's not going to tolerate that before the new heaven and the new earth. So, if you want to take these words here, really this is what John is saying. I see some leader that Satan has put in charge that's a human, and I see all the nations that are that are with them coming. I see Gog and I see Magog. That's what that means. Uh, it's really descriptive words for what John is seeing. And it says, and John tells us this, i got to tell you, their numbers are like the sand on the seashore. It's a lot of folks. Is that, does that surprise you? It's But a thousand years, I mean, there's been a lot of people in that thousand-year time, uh, the the if you notice, because of everything that's happened in the in the tribulation, because I don't want you to think that we've gone somewhere else. The millennial reign, uh, reign that's Jesus ruling on this earth, but ruling without opposition, with Satan binded and anybody who opposes binded, and so it's still the same earth that was completely changed by the the tribulation and the great tribulation, and you can see that. Because you see that it's been reshaped so much by the tribulation, these forces are allowed to organize themselves on a big, giant, broad plane there on earth, and they, they surround the camp of the saints, uh, and also you know what the capital is, the beloved city of Jerusalem, uh, which that's the place of Messiah's throne during the millennial reign, and it is the center of the millennial world. Now, this feels a lot like Armageddon, and that's all right. It should. Uh, like Armageddon 1,000 years earlier, the battle here is it, just very similar to what happened at Armageddon. We, we use the word battle, but a better word would be Satan gathered all those who opposed Jesus for them to be executed by Jesus. Now, this time, you know, as opposed to Jesus just riding out there and and speaking them into death, we do get you know a classic fire from heaven. That's one of God's classics. He'll bring fire down from heaven every now and then. So what 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 we what we see here is that the rebels they think they're all ready for an attack, and and it's so silly this this opposition toward God. They they give this whole production, and you know it doesn't even feel like this time that that Jesus even bothers the saints with it. I don't even say, are we even involved this time? It's almost like, ah, oh, here we go again. They're, they're these, these idiots that have rebelled against me, uh, when I even gave them perfection, it still wasn't enough. And so here they come, marching up again. Satan's rounded everybody up for me. And then, it, then he just comes back and says, uh, fire came down from heaven and devoured them. So why fire from heaven? Anytime in Scripture that we see fire coming down from heaven or anything fire associated with God, it's judgment. It, it represents God's judgment. His judgment killed them where they were. They were annihilated. They, they, they vaporized. They, they, they were done away with. Judgment from God on what? On sinners. We must, we must, we must get this right because there's a universalism that's, that's just easing its way in everywhere uh, it's one of the reasons, uh, you know, I'm, I told you guys that um, I guess I, I'm going to do another 31-day devotional, and right now I'm about 12 days in. And the title of the next individual resource for all of us is going to be Sin Always Matters. And and we, we have to understand that the reason why 
that these people keep, keep being getting slaughtered by God is because they won't repent. So if, if this lack of repentance in our lives is a really, really big deal. And I don't know whether we understand it or not, but it's, it's, it would be time that we do. took me a while to understand it. Is though we may take sin lightly, God doesn't. He hates it. And if you don't think he hates it, look how many times he's done away with it. And, and somehow we've been led into this false sense of security that the sin that still remains in our life is really no big deal. And the call to holiness is, I mean, let's not get carried away. You know, I dabble here, I dabble there. It's not anything big. I'm not some mass murderer. But, but you know, and if, you, if you'll go, I have found that when I look at how many times in Scripture I, I, I get a list of people that if they remain unrepentant will not, will not enter into the kingdom of heaven, which is about to happen, okay? And I've noticed that every time I look at that list, I always get excited about the people on the list that don't represent me. I've always been very vocal and very bold about sins I don't struggle with. But if you read the list long enough, you'll find yourself on it. Oh, wow, they're on the list too. I, I thought it was just this group of people who I've always said only they're going to hell. And then you look and you find your sin on there. And, and so what, what, what the Bible is telling you is that you may not have the same sin of somebody else, but any sin you have is going to get you killed just as much as the ones you don't have. Because if it's sin and you keep clinging to it and you don't repent of it, it will cost you. So redemption cost us our sin. Sin will cost us our lives. And the Bible clearly tells us that. He's not leaving, he's not leaving us uninformed. I don't know about you. I appreciate the heads up. Now, the sad part is if you don't know the Word of God and you're walking around delusional, why do you think, why do you think I'm making this point? Because Jesus made it. Why do you think Jesus told us that we should teach people all that he commanded? Why do you think that is? To, to win some brownie points with him? Well, certainly there may be some rewards in heaven, and, 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 and we love being obedient to Jesus. But what he knows is that people don't just wake up one day and say, I think I'll learn everything Jesus commanded. Sometimes they need people to teach him. Paul's going on about this. How are they going to believe in something they never heard about? And how are they ever going to hear about it if nobody will ever preach? And how's people ever going to preach if they don't ever answer the call to be sent? You know, it, what about when the when the writer of Hebrews is saying, some of y'all, all y'all do is take, you don't ever give, and frankly, some of you should be teachers by now. You should be out teaching people all that he has commanded, but I keep having to give you the basic oracles of God. I keep having to feed you with milk. I don't want to give you milk. I don't want to review this basic stuff, but you won't move on. And he says, some of y'all, frankly, should be teaching by now. You know the thing I get even with the, the manchurch.com. I'll get an email of, of men just fretting because they can't get anybody at their church to do it. And then I have a weird concept. You know what I say? Why don't you do it? Amen. We got everything you need. My goodness, we're all a bunch of idiots. You think we didn't create a system that, that, that an idiot could run? You know why? Because that's all we are. You really think I'm equipped for what I'm doing? I haven't, I'm not even close to being equipped to what I'm doing. And I spent years saying I won't do it because that's not my, you know, that's just not my call. And then I realized, wait a minute, everybody's called to teach people what he commanded. We may all do it in different ways. It may not be a vocational ministry that you're called to, but we're all called to ministry. And we're all called to be disciples. And you know what one of the things that disciples told to do? Make disciples. How do I make disciples? Apparently, Jesus said to teach them all that he's commanded and be sure you baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what he said. And, and I, I could just picture us running up to him going, we want to be sure we know what you, what you said. And he's like, I, I don't have anything to add to that. That's what I said right before I ascended to the Father. Y'all didn't take note of the last thing I said on earth? I mean, do y'all realize, what if I was sitting here right now, and I said, guys, I don't know when I'm going to see you again. 
One day I'm going to see you again. What if y'all were here right now and I was saying that? And, and you see right over here, right by the, there's the door. And all of a sudden I push back and I stand up and I, and I do this. I start moving toward the door. And I saw, oh, whoa, whoa. I got one more thing I want to tell you before I go. Do I have your attention? Jesus did that. He said, I got one more thing to say before I go. And he told us to be disciples, make disciples, and teach them all that he's commanded and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then, like a wonderful, benevolent king. See, I can't wait to be under his reign. Kings are not a bad thing as long as they're perfect kings. I prefer a king. You know what one of the most relaxing places to be if you're in a if you if you if you study the canine world? Do you know what the sweetest gig is in a wolf pack? To not be the alpha. He does all the work. Everybody else just hangs and chills. He's he's the one that's frantic trying to worry about what we're gonna do next. You know, the, the you know, somebody a guy emailed me yesterday, he goes, I know I'm afraid of this answer. He goes, When you were called to leadership, did you want to be a leader? And I said, absolutely not. When the first band I was, was ever in, I tried to be the drummer. I didn't want to be the lead singer. I just ended up up there. I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be. I've always tried to put myself in the background. It just doesn't happen. God keeps saying, that ain't how I made you. You know why I don't want to be in charge of anything? Because it's hard. Amen. <laughs> but when we have a benevolent king... We rest in the peace that he's got it all covered. So listen what he says to us when he tells us the last thing he wants us to do. I love this. He doesn't say, and good luck to you. He says, I'll be with you until I come get you or you die. I won't leave you. I'll empower you to do the very thing I told you to do. So if you and I aren't doing it, we're basically saying that Jesus is inadequate. And I ain't going to say that. Now, if you want to say it, you say it. But I'm not saying it. And did you see anywhere in this last thing he said, go do this, well, unless that's not your personality. Is that anywhere in Scripture? No, you know why? Because he said he'll actually do it. He'll empower anyone to do it. We may all do it in different ways. Now, there's where our personality comes in. But to not do it, that's not part of the gig. And as you can see, these poor people that reject Jesus they pay a horrible price. Now, ultimately, they'll be held accountable for it. I mean, this is the new thing. I, I keep watching Paul went through the study of Acts, and I, and I really adopted, and I don't mean this to be mean. I just mean for me to go, okay, can I? Okay. Is when Paul leaves the Ephesians, they know they're not going to see him again, and they try to cling to him. I think this is, is it Acts 20, 21, somewhere 20? And, and they're clinging to him. And he really says, hey, I'm not going to see you again on this side of heaven. And he knows that. He said, but I'll tell you this. If y'all stray, it ain't on me. I did what he told me to do. I've taught you. I've pointed you to it. I can't make you do it. So if y'all drift, when I, that's the reason why Paul's at the end of his life. He's not saying to Timothy, I don't know how it's going to go. The Ephesians may have drifted after I left, and maybe I won't get my crown. No, he says, I'm going to get the crown of righteousness, and so will everybody that did what Jesus said to do. But I've done it. Now, I don't know how everybody's responded to it, but I'll only be held accountable on whether I did it or not. And I did it. I did what he said to do. Can you say that? Can you say if people that you're influenced by, if they end up being, being killed by Jesus, killed by God's holiness, can you honestly say, that ain't on me? I told them. I told them everything they needed to know. I loved them. I, I tried to teach them all he commanded. I told them the truth. That's all we're supposed to do. We can't save anybody. But have we done what he told us to do? And that's going to be important, apparently, because all who oppose Jesus, all who refuse to repent, not only would they be devoured by a fire from heaven or slaughtered at Armageddon, they're totally exterminated. And then it says the devil and them will be thrown in the lake of fire. Do you love that his cronies are already there? Well, now, now you can go with the, with the beast and the false prophet. You can go where they are now. Now y'all going into the lake of fire. We're done with Satan now. He's over. 
Hell is a place of physical and mental torment. And look what it says about the torment for all who go there. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Can you imagine? You ever had something that was uncomfortable? What's the one thing you start praying? Man, I hope this ends sooner than later. What if you were being tormented and and you said, when does this end? And somebody said, never. Hey, so what, what, am I going to get through this to the end of the week? No. So, so there, when was there, when's relief coming? Never. I'm sorry, never, never. You, you, you had as God told us over and over. You had a choice before you of life or death, and for whatever reason, you chose death. Do you think people choose death because they really understand what they're doing? Or do you think they choose death because they don't think it's all that important of a decision? I think it's the latter. I don't. I, I don't think we've. We. I think we got to do a better job. And I'm not saying going back to you know fire and brimstone and that's all we ever talk about. But I do think we need to get the balance back. You know, balance back. And you've heard me say this a lot. I need to know about God's mercy and grace. But first, tell me about His wrath and tell me about His judgment. Because then when you tell me the good news, it actually is good news. You know, if, you, if we keep preaching this like it's a mild miss, that's why people look at grace and mercy and go, eh. All I've ever heard is that God loves me just like I am. No, he'll meet you right where you are. He'll redeem you right where you are. But there's nothing in Scripture that says that we will be redeemed by staying just the way we are. I, I love, and I can't, I can't forget who said it, but it was beautifully said. Yes, Jesus spent time with sinners, but when he left, they were the ones changed, and he was unchanged. They didn't change him. He changed them. And when he spent time with them, he was there to tell them what? I call you to repentance and, and know that I will forgive you if you repent. He did point to their sin. He always did. And he said the good news was that he would forgive them of it if they acknowledge it as sin and repent. You can't just stay the way you are. I'm here to change you. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if we are in Christ, then, then, then the old self is passing away, and the new has come. We, we now become a new creation in him. But any notion that we can remain in sin and never repent and somehow it's all going to work out just isn't true. And can I tell you the one who's convincing you otherwise is the one that has been accusing, gossiping, and has been slandering since the day he rebelled against the one and only living God. That doesn't come from God. That comes from Lucifer. That comes from the devil. That comes for Satan, who wants us to look at our sin and believe it's no big deal. And maybe even to delay, like I've told you a thousand times, if he can just get you to delay, because he wants you to be standing with him when God eliminates him. Why he's that wicked, I don't know. But the Bible says he is. And he knows he's doomed. He just wants you to be doomed with him. Because if I said before, and the reason why he wants that is because he knows there's nothing that hurts God more than for him to keep destroying his children. And he knows that if he can keep God's children from repenting, that because of the character of God, he will have to kill them. And he loves that. So let's be sure he doesn't kill you and he doesn't have to kill me that we'll repent and say, we want to be made right with you. We understand your son will make us fully righteous so you don't have to be put in that position. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this truth today. Thank you for the offer of redemption. Thank you for the hope of the future. Mixed perfectly with the warnings of the future. If we want the hope, we must heed the warning. And we repent and turn from our sin. 
and ask you to graciously forgive us, Lord. Thank you for loving us enough to show us the future so that we can make the proper adjustments, so that we spend eternity living, not dying. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for your time.